Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Colorado voters have a choice this November. Trade relief from increasing property tax rates in exchange for smaller refunds for all taxpayers. If approved, Proposition HH would reduce assessed property valuations for the next 10 years and backfill lost revenues to local governments by allowing the state to retain more tax revenue from Tabor refunds. Before you vote your ballot, take a listen as Brownstein's Caitlin Quander and Andy Stater go over the particulars of the ballot question, impacts on commercial real estate, how it implicates Tabor, and how it would affect education funding and rent relief. Welcome to Brownstein's podcast series. We are going to talk about Proposition HH on the Colorado ballot. I'm Caitlin Quander. I'm a real estate shareholder. Uh, I work in uh, general real estate, but also a lot in land use and zoning and entitlements. And today I have with me Andy Stater. Andy, will you introduce yourself and tell us about your practice here at Brownstein? Sure. Thanks, Caitlin. I'm a associate here in the real estate department, and my practice focuses mainly on development, acquisitions, dispositions, and and helping my clients through the entitlement process. So, Andy, you and I cannot stop digging in on property taxes. Um, we previously prepared a client alert in October 2021, where we talked about Senate Bill 21 and uh, 293 and Proposition 120, how that might play out on the property tax bill. And if voters recall, that did not pass. We also did an article back in May when Senate Bill 303 uh, did pass at the legislature. And this is really a good follow-up. Uh, now the Senate Bill 303 and 304 are on the ballot as Proposition position HH, and we thought it'd be really timely to do an overview. I know I just got an email uh, that my ballot is in the mail and uh, got my blue book in hand, uh, and the election is November 7th. So maybe we'll start off with talking about what Proposition HH does high level and then dig into the details. So could you give us a high level summary of the different pieces? Sure, sounds good. So I think everyone knows that Prop HH, if were to pass, would give homeowners and other property owners throughout the state a reduction in the property tax rates that they would otherwise be feeling given the rising property values we're seeing across the state. This doesn't necessarily mean that over time you're going to have a lower tax bill, but it at least will raise at a slower rate. Kind of moderates it as it climbs. Yeah. The other thing that the, the bill is going to do Essentially, all of our local governments, schools, fire departments, water districts, they depend on property tax revenues to fund their budgets. If we cut property taxes in a, in a great way across the state, they'll see less income. So in order to backfill some of that, what the state is doing is reducing the amount of taper refunds people are seeing so that the state can hold on to a surplus of what would otherwise be taper refunds and potentially funnel those back to local uh, special districts, school districts, and counties and, and cities throughout the state. The idea to sort of backfill the impact of those property tax reductions with a particular focus on school and the education budget. That's right. It would certainly be school budgets that would see the biggest um, impact from the Tabor refund reduction that we would see under Prop HH, schools would be the primary recipients of that reallocated Tabor money. And I think I saw a forecast because we look out about 10 years um, with this, with Proposition HH if it passes, that the reduction in Tabor refunds over that total 10-year term would be around $2.2 billion. Yeah, that's what I've seen as well. Now, obviously, different um, think tanks and 
um, institutes have been doing their own modeling, but I think the general consensus would be about $2.2 billion. And so from that, it's still a little unclear how the backfill is going to work. There is a cap in the law that um, cities and states can't grow too much over time. And so if the, the local jurisdiction um, hits that cap, they would not see those backfill dollars. Um, and instead, that money would get reallocated to the state education fund. Um, now, that is, at least in the next couple of years, anticipated that most local jurisdictions would be affected by that cap because of inflation and the growth in property values generally. But over time, should we see a recession or something else um, come online, then that might the backfill might actually get triggered and those, those might flow then to the local governments. Great. I think the only other high-level piece to add is that um, it also creates a relief fund for renters of up to $20 million per year. That was added after um, some political pressure at the, the, the session, at near the end of the session, around you know this really not helping renters like it helps property owners. So maybe that's a, a good segue to talk about how did we get here. Um, this came from a bill at the legislature in this last session and happened right up to the last minute in the session. Uh, and I think it was really, it came about throughout the session we kept hearing People are starting to get their property tax bills. There's this pressure in the community and from voters calling their elected officials about their property taxes going up. And what are you going to do to fix that? Um, tell us kind of how that played out at the end of the, the session. Right. So th- there have been a lot of clamor about what are we going to do. And a week before the end of the session in May, the governor and the Democrats came out with a press release that they had this big bill coming. And then three days before the end of the session, they dropped this 42 plus page bill. Um, We did read it. Every page, (laughs) many times. (laughs) And the Republicans, realizing that basically their vote would not make a difference because they were outnumbered, uh, they decided to do sort of a historic walkout and and did not participate in the vote. And so, of course, it passed at the very last minute at the end of the session. But the reason we're here today is that they, they could have passed a property tax reduction without having to come to the voters. That is not why Prop HH is on the ballot. Prop HH is here because of the Tabor refund reduction that would be that would happen as a result of this law. And so because of that, that is sort of a an increase in taxes, if you will, because our Tabor refunds are being reduced and that had to go to the voters. And so that is why we're here. Yeah, that is why we're voting on it. Um, And I I do think that's an important piece because it really is kind of a two-part look when you look at the impact to both property tax values but also the Tabor refunds. They kind of, you have to sort of borrow from Tabor refunds in order to pay for the the budget and the impact to local and, and particularly schools because of the property tax reductions. So stepping back a little bit, we work in commercial real estate. I know I've had questions from clients. Uh, They're really trying to understand what is the impact of Proposition HH, if it were to pass, on what their property taxes look like as they do various budgeting. So what are your thoughts there on the impact of commercial real estate specifically? Well, certainly each of the different classes of commercial real estate are going to see a reduction um, under this bill if Prop HH passes. So for most asset classes, you're going to see their their bill has been about 29% is what is multiplied against your assessed value to come up with your actual tax bill. If nothing had happened and Prop HH doesn't pass, currently it would be 27.9% minus a $30,000 reduction. And then next year, um, it would go up to 29% with no reduction. If it passes, instead of 27.9%, it goes to 27.85, which, yes, it's only a 0.05% reduction 
minus your 30,000, but then that rate continues into 2024. And then in the future, it continues to actually incrementally go down. So then it goes to 27.65 to 26.9 or 25.9, which under current law, that we wouldn't have any reduction in future years. So on the whole, this is the first time, really, that property taxes have been reduced in about 40 years. For commercial property. For commercial property in 40 years. So there's that. And there's some estimates on the modeling that say over the 10 years, we'll see a $3.5 billion reduction in property taxes from commercial property. And so that is something. Whether or not your specific property will see a big reduction sort of depends on the value of your property, how many mills your local jurisdiction you know, applies to the assessed value. Um, and so some estimates have shown it's going to be between a 4 to a 7% reduction on a property tax bill on the first year. Um, but like I said, if this goes in over the 10 years, the, that rate continues to go down for a while. So it could be a bigger reduction in the future. Yeah. So at least a small reduction. And depending on how the economic cycle pans out, how uh, evaluate, uh, how property valuations pan out, it could be um, even a bit more than a small. And I think that that's an important note. I know that you know our clients saw their property taxes come in. The location and the property type matters so much more in this cycle. Um, the last assessment cycle, for example, you know, properties in Cherry Creek North and in Rhino, they went up 30, 33%, really big jumps in property value. But then you also had properties, commercial properties in the downtown core uh, that were relatively stagnant, if not a reduction. And I think we're all, you know, waiting with bated breath to sort of see how those valuations come over the next couple of years, especially as we look at a number of these office buildings and what happens to them, depending on the economic um, uh, forecast and outlook. So fingers crossed, a small reduction uh, for commercial property taxes if Prop HH passes. Let's talk about individual taxpayers. So individual homeowner property owner, um, what would that impact uh, be? Well, for the property taxes, obviously the rate um, is going to, rather than jumping up to 7.15, it's going to sort of stay more at the 6.7. And there's a $40,000 reduction that comes off the top of your value before the multiplier, which would have expired next year, but on this it would continue. Um, And then that rate stays at the 6.7 for the full 10 years. And so that would certainly help property tax owners. The couple different estimates out there, I think most most say that you would save over the 10 years on the average home is is $5,000. They've been saying sort of $500 a year or $600 a year is about what the average home is going to see in, in reduction in their actual property tax bill. Um, but on the flip side, individual taxpayers receive TABOR refunds. And so this is where I think the, the fight really comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the proponents and, and, for instance, the Colorado Fiscal Institute have put out numbers saying that if there is a recession, obviously TABOR refunds are, are predicated on there being a surplus in the state income. So if there's a recession, there'd be less in. And so the, you the might not even have your, a refund. You might not have a <laughs> refund. And so the hit to your TABOR would be much less. Um, so like maybe over 10 years, their modeling shows that it could be $400 per taxpayer. Um, if we don't have a recession and things continue to go well, they've estimated it to be about $2,200 per taxpayer or $4,400 for joint. Of TABOR refunds they would not receive. That they would not receive over the course of 10 years, not in any one year, but over the total. Now, some of the opponents, for instance, the Common Sense Institute, have put out numbers saying that they modeled out that joint filers would lose $5,120 over the course of 10 years. So 
those are not very different, 4,000 versus 5,000 over 10 years. Um, so really, it depends. If there is a recession, it might be that you lose less in Tabor refunds. If there isn't, you might end up being sort of a wash, really, the, between what you would save in property tax bills versus what you would lose in your Tabor refunds. So it, it's hard to tell because modeling on a, what a Tabor refund will be over 10 years is very speculative. Yeah. You can Obviously, look out two, three years, but going out 10 makes it a lot more difficult. It does. And, and sort of it, how could we possibly know what the economy is going to do in 10 years or what the Tabor refunds might end up being and what surplus would be. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit speculative. The other big change if Proposition HH passes is that the Tabor refunds get flattened out. So right now, depending on your income, you you would you do receive a different level of Tabor um, back, that would get flattened to $661 per person, and joint filers would receive double that instead of the kind of six-tier system that we see right now. So, um, And that's just for change. 2023. Right, good point. So a lot of different math, uh, a lot of different estimates from different think tanks, but certainly makes the tax system more complex. Can you talk about some of those components? I know we've certainly heard, you know, there's going to be some administrative hassle here, right, for county tax assessors to figure out these, uh, the different property types and and what gets assessed, may see some delays related to that. I, I think one thing that I've, I've talked about a lot and maybe hasn't received as much attention is that for a really, really long time in Colorado, we had two property types, residential and non-residential. And they had two tax rates, and that was it. And really with the repeal of Gallagher and then some of the changes we saw in uh, a couple of sessions ago, they moved to four property type classifications and how those get valued. And with Proposition HH, if it passes, we actually come up with nine types of property tax classifications. And I don't know that any of that is inherently wrong. It's just complex, right? And I think that that can add, it, it gets really complicated quickly for both county tax assessors, but even local governments to try and budget and forecast a little bit better. I don't know if you have anything to add on that. Yeah, I would say that Besides having to figure out how to do all of this, they're also going to have to come up with the questionnaire for whether or not this is your primary residence versus not your primary residence and figure out how they're going to implement that across the state. And so yeah, a lot we're not, of this we're is, not touching on that as much in, in this yes. podcast because we're focusing on commercial real estate. But if you have a home in the mountains or a second home, it in going forward, it will be assessed differently than your residence. And so you would you would have to do a filing around that and, and it gets treated differently. Right. And if you don't do the filing, the assumption is that they're not your primary residence. And so everyone will be very incentivized to be sure they get those questionnaires in once the tax assessors <laughs> figure out what the forms are going to be. And I, I do think that it's it's worth noting that all of your, your staff at these counties that are trying to implement all these are going to be really, um, they'll be burdened with this for a while while they try to figure it out. And that's going to pull some of their attention from other projects they might have been working on, which might have been looking at some of your submittals for a project that you have in the pipeline. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about this backfill. I mean, for me, I think it's been the mo most complicated portion to really try and wrap my head around of both what is the impact to local governments, to you know, a hospital district, a fire district, uh, a school district, and then how does this backfill work, and how do they do the math? Um, and I think you sort of need to treat maybe the school and the education fund a little bit differently from the rest of the local governments. But uh, give us a little bit of an overview there. Yeah. So for 
the money that would be going into this this fund for the backfill for the counties, there is a cap for growth in any of the districts in the counties. And so in the short term, while property valuations have continued to rise, most counties, at least it's been calculated and what I've heard is that they aren't going to qualify for those backfill dollars, at least initially. Is that because with a property tax reduction, while it's a reduction, it's not because property values have increased so much that they're still going to see their budgets go up, still going to see their income go up, and it will go up above 20%. And so they wouldn't be a, you know, able to avail themselves of these additional dollars because they don't maybe need a backfill because they have a full budget. That's exactly right. And that, and that's what some, some ta- county tax assessors have indicated is that with property tax, um, property valuation escalation, most of the counties are going to exceed this cap and their budgets are already filled, if you will, uh, with the growth that's going to occur um, in property valuations. And so the backfill pool is not necessarily needed. But over time, I think we'll see that depending on what the market does, and if we do end up going into somewhat of a recession, they, they might be able to avail themselves to these dollars in this fund. So it sort of remains to be seen, and it is so complex that I don't know that we can really model very well for that over time. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting, the Colorado Municipal League, which represents all the cities throughout the state of Colorado and is a very active down at the legislature, they did take a position of opposition on Proposition HH um, with the concern that it constrains that both the local authority to create locally appropriate solutions, but also just concerns on how to implement this backfill long term. Um, so let's talk about education specifically and kind of the focus on those dollars uh, and, and how they get you know, pulled back, the Tabor refunds get held back by the state or a portion of them, and how they get put towards school funding. Yeah, so um, the dollars that don't end up going to the backfill are going to get funneled into the state education fund, and that fund is going to partially be used to sort of fulfill the mandate of Amendment 23, which was passed way back in November 2000. Um, that's required a diversion of one and one third percent of taxable income in the state to go to this fund and for the General Assembly to increase the statewide based uh, per pupil funding um, and total state funding for categorical programs um, by at least the rate of inflation. I think historically have not been able to do that. And so a lot of the money from this will end up going to that fund and, and seeing that those dollars are increasing per pupil across the state. Now, the opponents would say that the retention of the Tabor refunds wasn't really necessary because the state was already mandated to do this anyways, but as I think we've seen, it hasn't actually happened, and so this might provide the funds that would allow that to really to take effect. And and I think in some ways, the, the idea of Prop H being a property tax reduction might be sort of a front for... A, a really a raising of revenue for for education across the state. Yeah, I mean, I've heard when you try and simplify Proposition HH that it it may be a bit of a wash when it comes to property taxes, but that it really is a, a, a way to fund state education. And so if that is a priority for you, maybe regardless of your Tabor refund or property taxes, that, that it is likely that the state education fund will be in a better place if it was to pass. Yeah, that's right. One of the other pieces that I've heard a lot of discussion around is renters versus homeowners, right? Property tax values um, have really impacted property owners a bit more than renters. I think there's certainly a a trickle-down argument that if the property owner saves on their property taxes, then the rent doesn't have to be as high. Uh, But 
there was some uh, pressure at the legislature, especially kind of near the end of the session when this was proposed, of this only bens- uh, uh, benefits property owners. It doesn't help renters. What are we going to do to help renters? And that was really where that $20 million of a renter um, eviction fund came in and was added to the bill. What else can you add on kind of the difference between impacts that we see for renter- renters or homeowners? So the $20 million in renter relief fund would really, I think the math shows that only about 1,000 to 2,000 renters would be able to avail themselves to that relief fund. Um, and this is out of an approximate 768,000 renters in the state. And so a common complaint has been that the application process is going to be too cumbersome and difficult for people to access those dollars. And a little bit of a drop in the bucket, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and and this is likely going to be administered by um, the Emergency Rental Assistance Program, or ERAP, that has been historically responsible for distributing the COVID relief dollars related to rental assistance. And and most people have found that that is a very difficult process to go through to get these dollars. And if it's only going to help one to 2,000 renters, it's not going to make a huge difference for renters across the state. Um, I know $20 million does sound like a lot of money, um, and of course it is, but it's hard to disperse that amongst a lot of people and make a big difference in their pocketbooks. Yeah. Um, And also, while, of course, property owners pass along expenses that they have to their renters in the form of higher rent when they have to pay higher property taxes, if they pay less in property taxes, theoretically, they're going to reduce rents. Now, Inflation is continuing to go up and expenses are going up. And so I don't think that renters will realistically see a reduction in rent. They might not see their rent go up as quickly. But since they're not privy to the the thought process on the back end of how much their rent was going to go up either way, I don't know that they're going to feel the difference or notice that they, they saved because of this because of this law passing. Yeah, Andy, I totally agree. I think that's exactly right. Um, I, I, I don't know that the renters will be as appreciative. And when they don't get their Tabor refund, they may not like that that back-end piece of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's do a little bit of an overview. What happens if Prop HH passes? What happens if Prop HH fails? Um, walk us through the first one. Um, November ballot, uh, Proposition H passes. How quickly does this go into effect, and when do we see these impacts? So it will go into effect for the 2023 tax year. So the so the valuation card you got in the mail, we're going to see that multiplied by whichever rate comes out after this vote um, for that bill they're going to get early in 2024. And that's just to remind everyone in Colorado, we pay taxes in arrears, right? So you get this bill for your 2023 taxes, but you pay it in 2024. Right. And this may result in some delays because obviously assessors after November are going to have to figure out how to apply this. And so rather than seeing that bill in January, it's probably going to be a little bit delayed before you get that. And then counties and special districts are going to have to go through the work of figuring out how this affects their budgets. And this is going to take up a lot of staff resources. Yeah, I know that we represent um, and work with a lot of different municipalities and urban renewal authorities, and they're going through their budget cycle right now. They're obligated to in October, November, and then they have to report it to the state. And I do think we'll probably see some kind of back-end changes and revisions if if Proposition HH passes, because they've had to make certain assumptions in their budgeting around it. That's right. But, so yeah, what if Prop HH fails? Sorry. So Prop HH fails. Uh, the 2023 taxes won't be further reduced beyond what was already in current law. Um, and the current reductions that are under SB 22-238 are going to expire after tax year 2024. So you've got this coming tax bill and then the next one and then the the reductions stop after that and go back up to that 7.15 that most of us would have seen otherwise. 
However, I think we can expect that the legislature is going to come back at it next session and come up with another tax bill that's going to address the future years of of tax reduction. And so we'll have to see where that lands. But I I don't think we're done seeing uh, legislative action on taxes, even if this fails. Yeah, I think that's right. And particularly if it fails, I think that they're going to see a demand for those kind of further out years to do some type of different reduction, maybe without touching Tabor, um, which wouldn't then require a vote. Um, Okay, so we've hashed through Prop HH, hopefully given an overview on impacts to commercial real estate owners, um, individual property owners and renters. I'm going to put the question to you, pull out your crystal ball. Uh, what do you think happens uh, after November 7th? Where do you think this vote goes and, um, and what after that? Well, I would say that a couple things are going to play into the outcome here. One is that the opposition has really gotten out uh, in, in the media and in, in posters. I know I've seen signs on the road on my drive into work uh, really pushing for, you know, vote no on Prop HH. I have seen a lot less coming out from from the proponents of this bill, uh, really making any sort of, of marketing move to, to educate people the other way. So there's that. The additional thing is that this is an odd year election. So one, we have less voters come out. But two, it has historically been the case that tax reform on an odd year um, election don't pass. And so I, I think that if it, if you're asking me, the <laughs> the likelihood is that Prop HH will not pass this November. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so I I agree. I think um, I think it'll be relatively tight, but I I agree. And I think the other thing I'd add is. This is complex. I mean, I, I don't know how long we've been talking, but it is a really difficult thing to parse. It's 12 pages in the blue book, which is, I think, the longest on a proposition they've, they've had before because it has a lot of pieces. And I think that um, historically, at least, voters, when they see that level of complexity, their leaning is no. And so, um, I mean, we'll see on November 8th, but um, that, that's I, I agree with your, your prediction. Um, I also think, uh, regardless of if Prop HH passes or fails, um, but certainly if it fails, we will see uh, more discussion of this in the 2024 legislative session. I think with the repeal of Gallagher, it really has given the legislature the ability to moderate and reduce property taxes, not raise them. That requires a vote. But, um, you know, they are hearing from their constituents that they're feeling this pressure on their taxes and they want to do um, various things to try and help them. So I expect we'll probably see something again in 2024. And and I've certainly heard rumblings already that um, different think tanks are looking at different legislation. I don't know if you have anything to add on that. Yeah, I I definitely think that Initiative 50, which we won't go in here today, is going to be coming up next year. And I think if this fails, the proponents of this are going to be coming up with their own competing measure. And and I think, Caitlin, you and I will be back to do another podcast (laughs) on tax. More property (laughs) taxes. Well, thanks for the conversation today, Andy. Uh, We certainly encourage everyone listening to vote. You should have a mail ballot. So either vote in advance or on November 7th. And we will stay tuned to find out the results. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.